If you're into healthy lifestyle and into consciousness, I bet you already know Dr. Weil. And if you don't, you're about to discover someone who might have a huge impact on the course of your life from now on. Dr. Weil is someone who has a ton of international recognition. He's got the Arizona Center of Integrative Medicine now named after him. He has written over a dozen books on healthy lifestyle, philosophy of healthy aging, the power of plants, and altered consciousness. On top of being an iconic figure in the world of integrative medicine and a true courageous pioneer of the field, he's also a successful entrepreneur who gives back so generously. So in this episode, I am very excited to get into that side of Dr. Weil's life, where he shares what role intuition plays in his business. I was very lucky to record this interview with Dr. Weil in person at his house in Tucson, Arizona. There were some doggies in the room with us. You might hear that. And before the recording, I got to make some ceremonial cacao for Dr. Weil and his team. I share all about what that is and why I'm so in love with the ritual on breakfastcriminals.com. Besides ceremonial cacao and matcha, some of the things that we talk about in this episode are the breathwork technique that Dr. Weil considers the most powerful anti-stress, anti-anxiety practice that you can perform, why breathwork is the most essential component of transforming consciousness, why he considered plant medicine a safer choice over lab-produced drugs, what Dr. Weil's plant ally is, and why dogs are an essential component of his well-being, how he went from being a home cook to becoming a very successful restaurateur. Dr. Weil also shares his thoughts on virtual reality, social media, and practicing boundaries with technology. Somewhere in there, Dr. Weil also shares his tips for managing ADD, his tips for healthy glowing skin, and the six simple principles of wellness. It's a very rich conversation and everyone can take something away from it. So if you feel inspired by it, make sure that you share it with someone you care about. And if you want more, go to WokenWire.com to find the links to everything we mention on this episode, as well as some videos from this recording. I actually recorded the interview and I also recorded a glimpse into some other things we did outside of the interview like visiting Dr. Weil's garden, which has the most luscious kale I have ever seen in my life. I can't wait to see your takeaways. When you share them on Instagram, please tag at Woke and Wired so I can see them. And I am just so humbled and grateful that this connection happened. And I am also in awe of social media because social media and specifically Instagram is how Dr. Wiles' team found me and originally reached out to me. And this is the reason why this incredibly magical meeting happened. And I'm here to remind you that social media can be here for us to help us manifest our life purpose faster and in a more aligned way than we thought was possible. Here's the catch. 
For that to happen, you can't be passively scrolling all day long. It's the intentionality that we bring into our presence on social media that magnetizes opportunities like this. When we show up with our heart and we show up fully and we don't hold back, the humans on the other side of the screen pick up on your energy and pick up on the purity of your intention. And that's how things like this happen. And when I look at the list of other podcasts that Dr. Weil has been on, it's the Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey, it's Tim Ferriss, it's Joe Rogan, it's the most well-known and popular podcasts in the world. And I'm excited to bring this conscious social media expanded consciousness twist to this interview and a conversation with Dr. Weil that you haven't heard before. If the way that I'm talking about social media is not how you're used to thinking about it, and this is something that you want to explore, I have lots of solo episodes on the energetics of social media and how to experience more ease, clarity, and alignment when it comes to social media. In the meantime, here is Dr. Andrew Weil. Dr. Weil, we're in Tucson at your house. We just had some ceremonial cacao. Loved it. How do you feel? Energized and good. Hmm. So let's get straight to the point. The question I like to open with is, what is making you feel woke these days? <laughs> well, I get up early, first of all. So when the sky gets light, that makes me feel woke. Uh, I'm very tuned into plants and I have a garden out there I haven't shown you in my backyard. Uh, a great winter garden, that makes me feel woke. Matcha definitely makes me feel woke. That's, you know, I, I'm a big fan of matcha green tea and I started a company to bring really good quality matcha into this country. Really good quality. Really good, yeah. And the problem is that as matcha has become very popular here, most people have never tasted good matcha. It's mm. mostly old and loses its color, loses its flavor, and not, that doesn't have the good qualities. So how do you know matcha is good? When you go to a coffee shop or a mm -hmm. cafe, what, are people, what do people need to know? First of all, if you see the tea itself, the color should be just brilliant, vibrant green, not yellow green, not brownish green. The flavor should be very in intense, deep, and there's often a bitter note, but it shouldn't be predominantly bitter. How did you get into matcha? Because just for background, everyone, Dr. Weil owns matcha.com. Mm -hmm. No big deal. Right. <laughs> I went to Japan when I was 17 with a student exchange program and lived with Japanese families. Uh, this was in 1959. Japan was a very different place then. It was not affluent. And the family that I lived with outside of Tokyo we really had no language in common. They were supposed to have a son that spoke English, but he didn't. But the mother made known to me that the second night that I was there, she wanted to take me to meet her next-door neighbor who practiced tea ceremony. So we went to this house, very modest middle-class house, but traditional. And her neighbor 
did a Japanese tea ceremony. And there were two things that totally struck me. The first was the color of this powdered tea. I'd never seen anything that green. And second, the bamboo whisk that's used to whisk it in a bowl, which I think is just a marvel of Japanese engineering. It's carved from one piece of bamboo. So I was fascinated by that. And it's I, carved from one piece of bamboo? One piece of bamboo. And there's some videos you can find on YouTube of people making this. It's a really amazing craft. Anyway, I was very taken with this. And when I came back to the States, I, I bought some matcha and nobody had ever heard of it. And uh, then I was going to Japan occasionally in the 1970s and 80s, and I'd bring matcha back and turn people onto it and finally decided to try to start uh, importing it. But this was way ahead of its time. Matcha seems like one of these things that is similar to cacao. Mm -hmm. Once you introduce people to it, and once people try it and feel it, you fall in love with it. Right. And it has, a, I, many people do that, and it has a very distinctive effect because the the caffeine in it is modified by um, a, an amino acid called L-theanine that's a relaxant. And the combination produces a state of calm alertness, very different from the stimulation of coffee. Mm. And you don't drink coffee, right? If you guys are hearing uh, sounds, it's uh, the beautiful doggies we have here. You want to go out, Kingo? So I never drank coffee. When I was growing up, my parents made good, very strong black coffee, didn't put sugar or cream in it, and I thought it was awful. So I never liked the flavor, and I liked it. But also, I think the, the cultural associations with coffee and matcha, and tea in general, but matcha in particular, are very different. When coffee came to Europe, I think this was probably in the 1500s, in most countries, it became associated with political radicalism. There were coffee houses that were noisy places with people arguing and that kind of energy. Whereas matcha has an association with Zen Buddhism, with meditation, contemplation. So I think those cultural associations are significant. Mm. So did you have matcha this morning? I did. I had a bowl of, of uh, matcha this morning. And sometimes in the warm weather here, I make iced matcha. So I just whisk it in room temperature water and put ice in. I like that too. I usually have one bowl a day. There's a matcha lemonade recipe mm -hmm. that Nick shared with me that will be actually published on breakfastcriminals.com. Oh, great. Fantastic. Yes. Good. Nice. Good. And I'm, going, I'm working on a, with a, a great young chef on a matcha cookbook because uh, there are matcha cookbooks out there, but almost all the recipes are for sweet things. And this chef is experimenting with using it in savory dishes like coatings on fish mm -hmm. and salad dressings and marinades. Oh, cool. I think it's got a lot of potential on it. So in the wellness world, in the Instagram world, mm -hmm. when you see matcha, I think of collagen and adaptogens right. and, you know, all kinds of vegan creamers and oat milk. Typically, you see it being enjoyed with a lot of things. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? I think any way people want to enjoy it, it's fine with me. Personally, I like just plain matcha in the, made in the traditional way. But if people want to make it into lattes or sweeten it, that's fine. So walk me through your morning ritual. Well, I get, as I said, I get up very early, typically like 4, 4.30. It changes through the year. I like to get up when the sky starts to get light. I get up before my dogs. Is uh, there a reason for getting up at that time? It just feels natural to me, and it's, it's changed. When I was um, young, I really did not like to get up in the morning. And in college, I tried not to schedule any classes before 11. <laughs> and, uh, but now, you know, I really can't sleep past the sky getting light. And I have 
most energy at that time of day. And morning, I'm a morning person. If I'm going to write, I write in the mornings. Anyway, so I get up, brush my teeth. Then I sit down and do some sitting meditation. I do some breathing exercises and some sitting meditation. Then I get up, usually feed the dogs, feed myself, and I have my bowl of matcha. What do you eat? Well, I don't eat traditional breakfast. I eat, not scared about it. <laughs> I eat leftovers, like wraps made with either soy products or smoked fish, uh, sometimes salad. You know, when I lived in Japan, they, they often eat salad for breakfast, and they think that's a Western custom. I don't know how that started. It's so, <laughs> so weird. They, often they call it a Western salad huh. breakfast. But anyway, I love salad for breakfast, and but I don't have any pattern. I like I don't I don't like traditional breakfast foods. Then no uh, cereal for Doctor Wild. No cereal for Doctor Wild. Things like pancakes and pastries make me feel awful. I don't eat eggs very often. I mostly eat fish and vegetables. Occasionally, if I'm on the road, I eat, I eat eggs. My wife Sasha made a very good omelet yesterday, so for Sunday breakfast, I had some of that. Then I usually tend to my plants. I have a garden, which I'll show you and my indoor plants. And then I go to my computer, I see what kind of emails I have to answer. And as I said, if I'm going to do some um, creative work writing, it's, I usually spend a few hours in the morning doing that. Mm -hmm. So that's my basic routine. I swim every day. So the time that I swim depends on what the weather is like. And then also early, often my dogs take me for a walk. So <laughs> there's a five-minute drive to a, a wash near here that I can let them off leash and we run out there and that mellows them out for the rest of the day. Now, you mentioned meditation practice. Is there a particular practice you do? I studied Zen and then I studied Vipassana meditation and I do a combination of that. But mostly I sit down, I do some my 478 breath work. And then I focus on my breathing and on body sensations and, you know, sensations in the environment. I learned about the 478 breath when I was a member at a functional medicine startup mm -hmm. called Parsley Health. Yep. And my holistic health coach taught me and sent a video of you demonstrating Great. <laughs> it. And since then, I've been turning to it when I need it. I learned that from one of my mentors, an old osteopathic physician years ago, and I've taught that to probably thousands and thousands of people. And it's of all the techniques that I've learned and remedies that I've found, that's the one that I've gotten the most positive feedback about. A really amazing results that people find if you practice it and stick with it for mm -hmm. you know a month or several months. I've done it for probably 25 years and I've really owe a lot of my health to that. So for those who haven't heard about it, will you explain how that works and how often you have to do it? It's a very simple technique. Basically, it's breathing in quietly through your nose to a count of four, holding your breath for a count of seven, and blowing air out forcibly through your mouth to a count of eight. And you repeat that for four breath cycles. And you've got to do it at least twice a day, religiously. And after a month, if you're comfortable, you can increase it to eight breath cycles. Uh, it's desirable to slow the whole thing down as you get familiar with it. You can do it more often, but never more than four at the start or eight breath cycles at a time. And the real effects become noticeable after about six weeks, six to eight weeks of practice. Mm -hmm. It slows heart rate, it lowers blood pressure, improves digestion, warms mm -hmm. your hands. And it's the most effective anti-anxiety, anti-stress mm -hmm. measure I've ever found. I'm just thinking of how you must feel meditating in the morning, having your matcha, mm -hmm. doing the 478 breath. I know for myself that coffee sometimes make me feel anxious. Mm -hmm. 
What are your thoughts? Do you not recommend coffee at all, or is there something people can do? I think people are, there's a great variation in sensitivity to caffeine and coffee. I think coffee is a strong drug. I take uh, pleasure when people offer me coffee. I say I don't do hard drugs, <laughs> just to make them aware of that. You know, the majority of people who drink coffee are addicted to it and have a physical withdrawal syndrome if they stop. And it's, it's worth finding out if you, if you do that. Also, for some people, coffee is very irritating to the stomach, to the urinary system. It, incre you know, it increases heart rate, blood pressure, and can really interfere with sleep and cause anxiety. But again, there's a huge variation in sensitivity. I meet people who drink one cup of coffee in the morning and have no idea that's why they can't sleep at night. Mm. And other people can drink a pot of coffee after dinner and you know they're fine. So you want to find out where you are in that mm -hmm. spectrum. But it is not uncommon to see, uh, you know, when I was seeing patients regularly, I used to say that I would produce one miracle cure a month by just taking someone off coffee. Mm. And in the interim between getting off coffee, what do you usually recommend? Switching to matcha? Well, matcha is a possibility. Another one, however, is pu'er tea, which we mm -hmm. talked about earlier, because that's dark and mm -hmm. it, it has a coffee-like look and... So that might be an easier transition. But I do think for many people, I think being able to transition to tea is, is helpful. But, you know, there are documented health benefits of coffee, and I don't want to trash coffee. It has its, <laughs> you know, it has some of its benefits. But I think the important thing to realize is it's a strong drug, mm -hmm. and the stimulation from it is very different from that of tea and matcha, probably because of the L-theanine. So for many people, the stimulation of coffee is more jangling, mm. and it also leaves you, you know, it doesn't give you energy. It bunches your, your own energy mm. up, and so it leaves you depleted of energy later in the day. Mm. That doesn't sound like fun. I'm glad I didn't have coffee. Today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you had cacao, and that's, that's also a very different stimulant and mm -hmm. uh, with, with, I think, also a lot of positive effects. Mm -hmm. Yeah, with cacao, I don't feel a crash. It's a very right. soft energy mm -hmm. wave. Mm-hmm. All right, so here's my question. Everyone's talking about breath work, meditation, and matcha, and adaptogens. It's becoming a much more popular thing. And you've been around for a while. <laughs> and you've been practicing a lot of these things. And you've traveled around the world collecting different rituals and methods. What do you think in the world where wellness has become a trend? Something that people don't understand or a message that you want to share with people who want to have more wellness in their life, but might be overwhelmed by all the things they're bombarded by. Yeah, I think there's too much information. There's too much con contradictory information. There's too much misinformation. I think people are very confused. I think the principles of wellness are quite simple. You know, I would start with good nutrition. And the first rule there is to stop eating refined, processed and manufactured food. That's simple. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what's doing us in. You know, it's been said that our great-grandparents wouldn't even recognize as food what most people eat today. So I think the, the more you can eat whole natural foods as close to the way nature produces them, the better off you are. Secondly, I think it's important to be physically active throughout life. Uh, that doesn't mean you have to run marathons or work out with trainers. It just means you want to move your body. Walking is a great way to move your body, but you want to do it every day. And I think as you grow older, you want to change the forms of physical activity to suit the changes in your body. Then I think it's very important to get adequate rest and sleep, which many people don't today for a whole lot of reasons coffee in some cases. Uh, I think it is very important to learn and practice some method of neutralizing harmful effects of stress. You know, my personal favorite is that 478 breath because it's free and it 
takes a little time. Um, I think it is important to have connections with nature. You know, there's a something been proposed called nature deficit disorder, which I think is a very real thing and more and more today. Mm. I'd say it's important to find ways to limit your attention to devices, which are taking over our lives more and more. Anyway, these are, these are examples of what I would say are simple principles of wellness. Speaking of devices, how do you set boundaries with tech? It's hard, and I think it's increasingly hard. I try to disconnect myself from my computer somewhere in the early afternoon and not pay attention to it later. You know, I don't use my mobile phone that much unless I'm on the road. And I, I really don't like being beeped by devices. So, I, you know, I just, I, it takes work. I try to limit the windows in which I use them. Do you check any of your social media yourself? No. Uh, I have a, a very good person works for me. She, she'll ask me today. She sent me a, an email, said, can I please send her some photos that she can post on social media? I almost never look at my social media. And I don't do that directly. I just send her material. And what's the reason? It just doesn't interest me. Mm. You know, it's, I, just, I just see the potential there for a lot of time wasting. Mm. What about internet as a whole? Coming into an age where we use it to create friendships and business connections, and it plays such an important role. I mean, it's phenomenal. I can, I can often, in, I'm very good at using the internet to find what I want. And often in 30 seconds, I can find a recipe I want, a tune, a, a lyrics to a song, a, a historical fact. You know, whereas before, you know, I would have to look at encyclopedias or dictionaries mm -hmm. or go to a library. I mean, that's amazing that, mm -hmm. that I have all that at my fingertips. I think the ability to connect with people through email and texting instantly, I mean, that's great. On the other hand, I, I think there's, it cuts the other way too, because I think it undermines real interaction with people. And I think more and more young people are having virtual mm. interactions. And I also, I'm both fascinated and fearful of what happens when virtual reality really becomes indistinguishable from reality, which I think we're headed toward. You know, that might be possible for us to live totally in a virtual world. I'm fearful too, but I think because I'm of the generation that's on the edge between the two worlds, having mm -hmm. grown up without the internet until I was 10 or so, mm -hmm. And now it being the most important thing for me to make money, to connect right. with people, yeah. to just do everything I do. I think it's just a matter of, for me, approaching it consciously and setting those boundaries yeah. and making sure I remember that it's just a tool yeah. and it doesn't have energy of its own. And it's about how I approach I it. I think that's very, very sane. I can't imagine living without mm. the internet and without devices, but I think it's very important to set limits. Mm. It's like when we picked up the cacao, we set an intention. Mm -hmm. I try to do the same as often as possible with devices. I pick up my phone and I open oh, Instagram good. and I ask myself, okay, do I really want to connect with someone, reach out to someone, respond to something, post something, or am I just looking for a distraction? That's a good, I'll, I'll try that. <laughs> you know, another thing I know, the message is fascinating. I can't remember the last time I got a letter from somebody. Mm, I can I, send you a letter. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I almost never get phone calls anymore. Mm. You know, I get text messages. It's just amazing to watch how these things change so fast. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. Okay. So someone on Instagram messaged yeah. and asked, uh, you have a lot of plans here. Mm -hmm. And the question had to do with that. The question is from womb root offerings on Instagram. What is your plant ally and why? Hmm. I probably have more than one. 
One of them is coca. Mm, I just coca. tried it in Argentina. Oh, great. Fantastic. We're in northern Argentina or? In Buenos Aires. In Buenos Aires. There's an area in Argentina, Salta, in the north, mm-hmm. which is beautiful. I want to go there where coca is used traditionally. But I encountered this first in Peru and Colombia and Bolivia. And as you know, it's the source of cocaine, but in the leaf, it has a totally different action. So that's one of my plant allies. I've mm-hmm. studied it for a long time and, and I've used it. And, and I've worked to try to inform people that it's different from cocaine. And it's a perfect example of what happens when you take a chemical out of a plant, mm. you know, the trouble that you get into. Why do you feel connected to it? You know, I started going to, I first went to South America in 1965 to collect plants. Wow. And, and then I lived in South America, mostly in Colombia, but also in Peru. And spent a lot of time in coca-using regions in the Andes, but also among Amazonian tribes that use coca, which is a different sort of practice. And I was just fascinated by the plant. I've grown it up here. It's not the easiest plant to grow in North America. And I've used the leaves myself, and I find them, you know, I find them very helpful. Mm-hmm. So that's a plant I feel quite connected to. Mm-hmm. Helpful for what? For energy, for improved digestion, mm-hmm. for connection with nature. Mm-hmm. For it's just one that I work with. I think in my when I was in my twenties, I used cannabis a lot in my twenties and early thirties, and that was definitely an ally for me for that period, and mm-hmm. it stimulated my imagination help connect with people. And then the effects of it changed for me and it became more sedative. It would make me groggy. Mm. And I finally dissociated myself from it and I I have not used it in a long time. So it's interesting Mm. that something that was an ally for me ceased to be. Right. Nowadays, plant medicine is such a big topic and it's such a vast topic. Mm -hmm. And while in the 60s, you were probably one of the very few people, you know, going exploring any of that. Now... It's such a big topic. What do you think people need to understand about this work? Uh, Nature is the master chemist, and nature can synthesize compounds that humans can't. And plants produce these amazing arrays of molecules. And there is a vast difference between these complex arrays of molecules and single compounds. And as a physician, I am very aware of the problems caused by use of single compounds. Mm. You know, there are a tremendous number of very serious adverse reactions to the drugs that we rely on. And you just don't see that with plant medicine. They're much safer and often the effects are much better. And I've worked for years to try to educate physicians and patients about why it is better when you can to use natural products. Mm. So I think there's a, there's a great lesson there. Mm. I'm just fascinated by the way that plants work. I'll just give you one example. Please. We, I talked about coca. Mm-hmm. In Among Andean Indians, coca is their, their great remedy. It's like peppermint or chamomile in European folk mm. medicine. And its main uses are for gastrointestinal problems. Mm. And the natives say that coca treats both diarrhea and constipation. That makes no sense. In like terms an of Western, Yeah, exactly. It makes no sense in terms of Western pharmacology. Mm-hmm. And cocaine is a gut stimulant. So you could see... If you have her constipated, cocaine is going to be great. Mm. But what could it do for diarrhea except make it worse? Mm. But coca has 14 other alkaloids in it that are similar to cocaine but slightly different. Mm. Some of them are probably gut inhibitors and some of them are gut stimulants. And this is typical of the way plants produce these arrays of molecules. They have what are called both agonists and antagonists, things that push against physiology and things that pull against physiology. Mm-hmm. And when you throw this mixture into the body, the body chooses what, it's need, what it needs. Mm-hmm. 
it's very different from giving it a very strong shove in one direction with a purified molecule. Mm. And that principle is very hard to explain that to pharmacologists and physicians, mm. but it's something I'm quite certain of. Wow. And it's fascinating. It's like plants have these ambivalent, complex actions mm. that, that we can use. So coca isn't something you can legally buy in the U.S., is it? No, it's in a kind of shadow area because there are websites that sell it. And the government seems to turn a you know, blind eye to that. Mm. And there's efforts in, in Peru and Bolivia, especially, to, to legalize coca and make it available. So one day, you know, with all the other things that are happening mm. today with cannabis and psychedelics, mm -hmm. maybe one day that will be available as well. So in the meantime, what are some legal plants that people can start looking at adding to their lives? Well, in terms of, uh, well, of adaptogens... You know, they're all, I mean, there's such an array. There's ginseng, there's mushrooms. I, I'm fascinated with, as you are, with mushrooms and especially mm -hmm. with the medicinal properties of mm -hmm. mushrooms. A lot of the mushrooms that are used most in Chinese and Japanese traditional medicine are adaptogens that mm -hmm. increase our resistance to infection, to cancer, and they're completely non-toxic. Mm -hmm. So I think we were mostly completely unaware of that in this part of the world until maybe 15, 20 years ago. Mm. It's true. I feel like there's still, what's the word, mycophilia? Yes, mycophobia. Mycophobia. Yeah. And most people are in, in the Western world in the U.S. Highly mycophobic, as opposed to Russians, Correct. for example. Right. Yeah, Russians sees a mushroom and we just want to pick it. You talked about it. singing to mushrooms. Yes. You know, I know, nobody, that would never occur to anybody yeah. here. Right, exactly. Yeah, my grandfather taught me to sing to mushrooms so that they come out. I love that. And we'd have to go up, you know, wake up super early at 5, 6 a.m. Right. to be the first ones to find them. When I was growing up, I grew up in Philadelphia, and we had a, mm -hmm. in a, in a row house, and there was a lawn in front. Mm -hmm. And if any mushrooms cut on the lawn, my mother told me not to touch them because I get poisoned by just touching right. them. Right. So interesting. So interesting. So the topic I'm really excited to get, get into with you is entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. Because I think it's one thing to have a gift of knowing the plants, being a doctor like mm -hmm. you are and sharing that information, educating people. But it's a different gift that you've been able to manifest to find the right partners and start businesses around it. Yeah. Like last night, me and my friends went to True Food Kitchen, uh -huh. you know, and I think providing people opportunities to experience healing through food and have it be a successful business yeah. That's just like an all-around way to change consciousness right there. And it's been fun for me and extremely satisfying. So I've, mm. I guess I've always been an entrepreneur and not always a successful one. And in my early years, it's somewhat scary to be out there. You know, I was making my living as a writer, as a journalist, selling articles to magazines. But I've always worked as an entrepreneur and I have had the good fortune to be quite successful at a number of things. The restaurant, you know, this, this has been great for me. I'm a very good home cook. I'm not a chef. But over the years, many people told me that I should open a restaurant because mm. the food is so good. And I was never tempted to do that because I knew nothing about the restaurant business. And it looked like a very tough business. Right. And then about 12 years ago now, a friend introduced me to a successful restaurateur in Arizona. And I proposed the idea to him of a restaurant that would serve really good food that was also good for you. Mm. He didn't get it. He said, health food doesn't sell. Wow. And, and really. And I, I think he thought I meant tofu and sprouts. Mm. But one of my motivations for this is that, you know, I love good food. And generally, I can make better food at home than I can going out. And also, since I'm 
a, pesc- a pescatarian, mm-hmm. uh, my food choices in restaurants are limited. And I wanted, for selfish reasons, to have a place to go where I could eat the food that I wanted. Anyway, I kept working on him, and he finally decided to give this idea a try. And Two Food Kitchen has been extremely successful, mm-hmm. and we now have, I think, 31 of them. Wow. And we may open some internationally. And a nice. lot of these are recipes that they're my recipes mm-hmm. and ingredients that I find in my travels around the world. You know, I was, uh, I recently turned one to using a, a starch called kuzu, which is in Japan. Yes, I love kuzu. It's a fabulous thing. You know, in this country, it's called kudzu, uh-huh. and it's a, an invasive plant in the mm-hmm. South, and people hate it, and they don't even know how to use the starch. It's just a superior starch. It lowers blood sugar. You know, it, it's, it's a great thing, very soothing to the gut. Anyway, so I'm always looking for ingredients and telling them and recipes that they can try there. And it gives me much pleasure to see people enjoying food that I've always enjoyed. Mm. So was the first one in Phoenix? Or what was the first, first one was in Phoenix. And did you eat at the one in Biltmore? Scottsdale. At Scottsdale. That was, that was a later one. But the first one was in Phoenix. And from the moment it opened, it was you know extremely successful. Mm. And then we had opened a couple in California, another one in Phoenix. And now we're really all over mm-hmm. the country. So I find that a lot of people don't know that you're behind True Food Kitchen. <laughs> Interesting. The the original, my original partner, I think, didn't want that out there. Mm. But that's changed now. And mm. they, I think when you go into them, they have things about my anti-inflammatory mm. diet and my cookbooks for sale. Yeah, your cookbooks my, is what gave it out to me ah, in the first okay, place. Great, good. Yeah. That's so cool. All right. So True Food Kitchen is just one of your entrepreneurial projects. True. Another one, as an example, I partnered with a skin products company called Argens. Uh, they came to me and asked me if I would be interested in trying to develop unique skincare products. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I don't really know anything about skincare and I don't use products myself. Mm-hmm. But I said, I'm sure I could think of some ingredients that they might try. And my first thought was mushrooms because nobody was using mushrooms in skincare products. Really? None. Oh. None. And it's, I think, part of the mycophobia again that mm-hmm. nobody didn't occur to anybody. Yeah. So I said, so I gave them a list of species that I said they should test to see if they had any anti-inflammatory properties or reduced redness in the skin. And this led to this line of Dr. Wild for Argent's Mega Mushroom products, which have been huge bestsellers. I mean, they're just, especially in China, there just isn't a huge market for them. But that's just an example. That's been also a very, by the way, I don't. The restaurant I, is a profitable enterprise for me, but these other things that I do through my website, I don't get any of those profits. All of my after-tax profits I donate to a foundation that supports integrated medicine around the country. Oh, wow. But nonetheless, it's been a very satisfying partnership. Mm. Yeah, actually, someone on Instagram asked me about Origins. Bethany Bivan said, after your partnership with Origins, what do you think are the top things to have great skin? Okay, it's a good one. <laughs> First of all, you want to protect yourself from the sun, mm-hmm. especially important as you age. You want to eat a, you know, a, an anti-inflammatory diet. Make sure you're getting enough of the right fats, omega-3 fatty acids, for example, which are really important for skin. Mm-hmm. You know, eat the right kinds of oils like avocado oil, olive mm-hmm. oil. I think you want to be very careful about products you use on your skin. I recommend checking on the website of the environmental working group ewg.org yeah and they list cosmetics products and tell you about which ones have you know worrisome ingredients in them i think uh, it's a good idea not to use too much soap and water on skin because Mm -hmm. you remove natural oils so those are just you know some basic tips Mm -hmm. 
So I want to go back to your entrepreneurship because yeah. you started by saying that you were a journalist, you were selling articles, you weren't that great of an entrepreneur or successful. Yeah. When did it switch? When did you really feel like you picked up that wave of what you would call success? I had been writing. I wrote a couple of books on health and my ideas about which became the philosophy of integrative medicine uh, starting in the early, in about 1983. And this was a time when the there was a holistic health movement in this country. And I could see that there was a consumer demand for this kind of information. But my books never really became big bestsellers. And I was very frustrated about that. Um, and I knew that what I had to say was important and useful. Finally, I found a new literary agent and a new publisher. And the first book that I did with them called Spontaneous Healing was an international bestseller. And that really you know, led to mm. you know, a great deal of success. What was the basis of the message in the book? Basi a very simple one, that the body has a tremendous capacity for healing. Mm. And that you, know, you want to know how to protect that and enhance it, mm -hmm. but it's that the body can heal itself. I mean, what a simple idea. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it's very easy to talk about with kids. If a kid gets a cut, mm -hmm. you know, you say, watch what happens. And you can plant the, the seed, the idea that the body can heal itself, just mm -hmm. you know, what you see on the surface it does throughout. But remarkably, that idea is missing from medicine. You know, I learned almost nothing about healing in medical school. Yeah. And so I think just telling, giving people confidence that their body has the ability to repair itself, to mm -hmm. maintain equilibrium. That was the basic message of the book. So it sounds like being unstoppable with your message mm -hmm. and trusting that at some point people will get it. Yes. And I'm often asked this, but, you know, it was uh, in the early years, I did not get much reinforcement that I was doing the right thing. I had dropped out of medicine because I really couldn't practice conventional mm -hmm. medicine with a good conscience, but I knew I was right. And, it, you know, I really followed my own internal wisdom. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, eventually it's been very gratifying to me to see the culture catch up. Internal wisdom. <laughs> is that related to intuition? Yeah, I think it is. I think we all have intuition, but many of us are not, don't have confidence in it, don't pay attention to it. And I think the educational system discourages us from mm -hmm. using intuition. What role has intuition played in your journey as a as an entrepreneur? I have a really good sense of people that I want to work with, of projects that I want to do. I just have a, you know, I it feels right to me. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, relying on my intuitive sense. Yeah, you must have a lot of people coming to you I and do. you're pitching things. Yeah. So how do you even get through that? <laughs> I have a good bullshit detector. <laughs> and, and as I say, also, mm -hmm. I really do know when... I, Another ability that I have, and I don't know where this comes from, I really can see where things are going, where evidence mm -hmm. is going. And I've been so ahead of the curve on many things mm -hmm. when I look back on my body of writing. For instance, I was warning people about the dangers of trans fats mm -hmm. 10 years before anybody paid any attention to that. This idea that uh, chronic inflammation is the root cause of chronic disease, you know, I was one of the first people to be saying that. So, I just, you know, I have a good sense of seeing where information is going to go. Mm. Let's see what other questions we have. Oh, this is a question from my fiance, Eric, who okay. is a big fan. He said, what's the most essential component to transforming consciousness? The essential component of transforming consciousness. You know, I have to say breath work. Mm. You know, I think that is that that is the core of our being. That, that breathing, I think, is the 
most essential function mm. of the human organism. And I think when we turn our attention to that, we are putting our consciousness in a very good place and looking at the, you know, the essence of our being. So something so simple. So also something that you mentioned is that you give back a lot of money from your businesses, from your projects to the foundation to integrated medicine, right? Right. I have a, a private foundation called the Wild Foundation mm -hmm. and all of my after-tax profits from sales of, of products that mm -hmm. have my name and likeness on it go to that. And I think to date it's given away over $5 million or $6 mm -hmm. million to to integrative medicine at the University of Arizona and to mm -hmm. institutions throughout the country. I have a story for you. Yes. I got a message this morning from my friend, uh, Dr. Pooja Amy Shah. Mm -hmm. She's in charge of integrative medicine at Columbia University. Oh, great. And she was able to start on that journey because she got a grant from you. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very happy. And now she's that. trained students in that in New York City. You know what? And the center that I started here at the University of Arizona College of Medicine has now graduated, I think, almost 2,000 mm. physicians from very intensive training. And they're mm. practicing in many other countries and mm. in all states in this country. Many of them are training mm. other people. So it's a mm. real movement. It makes me think about this idea of success. Mm -hmm. What is success? It sounds like, you know, when I hear your story, it's about not just keeping your message to yourself, but finding so many different multiple avenues mm -hmm. to give back through your businesses, mm -hmm. to give back through money, through yeah. education. What is success to you? Well, I guess it's seeing the, you know, my, what I've had as my core truth to see that propagate itself mm. uh, throughout the world and now by means of many other people that I've had contact with. Mm. You know, I, I get a lot of feedback from people that, contact me or meet me and say that something that they read that I wrote was exactly what they needed to you know, help them. That's very satisfying. And I think it's also this idea of when your message, this is something I teach people how to use social media more consciously mm -hmm. and how to spread the idea about their businesses, about their offerings. And it's this concept of having your message be bigger than you mm -hmm. and be willing to give it away. Yep. And that's something I'm always learning. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you've done that so well. Yeah, and I think, you know, oddly, I think the more you give away, the more that comes to you to give away. Mm. There's something about being an open conduit to that that mm -hmm. just allows more, more to flow through you. Do you have any um, tips to switching into that zone of being an open conduit? Does that, is that breath work due to that too? I think it's also, and also trusting, you know, trusting in yourself and in your inner wisdom. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that I didn't ask you about that you feel called to share? Let me think. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in my 77 this year. It's hard for me to believe that I'm that old. I, I cannot imagine ever not working and continuing what I'm doing. When I look back, you know, I, I don't think I would change anything about my life. I think it's all unfolded in the way it's supposed to do. But we didn't talk about dogs. You know, yeah, dogs are a very important part of my life. Yeah, I can't imagine life without dogs. It's having that relationship with another another species is, mm. is phenomenal. You know, dogs can read your emotions. And there was a study that came out a year ago showing, you know, dogs are the only animal that hold our gaze. Mm. Uh, for most animals, looking in the eyes is a threat. Mm. And dogs have evolved the ability to hold our gaze. The When you... When a dog looks you in the eyes, 
oxytocin is released in your brain and the dog's brain. And the longer you hold gaze, the more oxytocin is released. And that's the hormone that is the hormone of love and affection and bonding. So that's just one thing they do for us. You know, I was just thinking about it the other day because with humans, there's this element of awkwardness that comes in Mm -hmm. when you hold a gaze too long. Yeah, yeah. But with dogs, I just feel so free and open to stare as long as I want. Well, it's a good thing. Yeah. It feels so good. Yeah. And now I know why. Yeah. It's so cool. Two more questions from, yes. from the audience. One is from Love and Bliss Seeker. Recommendations for feeling focused when you have ADD. Well, I'd be really careful about coffee and and probably other stimulants in general. I would also be really careful about limiting your time on devices because I think that greatly undermines attention. And then I think doing some kind of... Um, meditation practice, mm-hmm. you know, because that's a specific antidote for that. It's so simple, but it takes yeah, doing that. Exactly. All right. And then another question is from my dear friend, Sasha Yoga Wellness. On the one hand of the spectrum, there's people saying, avoid gluten, avoid dairy, be strict about it. On the other spectrum, there's the Ayurvedic science mm-hmm. and philosophy that's very much into cheese and, and wheat, you know? <laughs> so what what's your take? Okay, I could probably give you a very good argument against eating any food you name. Mm. And if all that were true, there'd be nothing to eat. So I also tell you, when I was writing a, my book, Healthy Aging, I made a number of trips to Okinawa, which was famous for the number of centenarians there and healthy aging, all of that's changed recently. I was there in February of this year, and was in a village called Ogimi Village that's called the Longevity Village. It's famous for its concentration of centenarians. And mm-hmm. I sat with a group of these very old people who all look great. And they, of course, asked about, you know, what their advice they had. And everyone, the first words they said were, eat everything. Wow. Interesting. Now, I don't think they meant eat McDonald's, which has become right. very popular over there. And this seems to be undermining mm-hmm. wellness. There is a... Um, cartoon that somebody sent me from a Mexican magazine. It was this couple sitting in a restaurant talking to a waitress and they're saying, you know, we don't eat meat. We, we, we're allergic to wheat. We're allergic to dairy. We don't eat gluten. We don't blah, blah, blah. What should we order? And she says a taxi. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I think this, this extreme Mm -hmm. stuff that we see today is Mm -hmm. not wise. I think the one thing you don't want to eat is refined processed and manufactured food. But other than that, I think it's not a bad idea to be able to eat, mm. eat everything. As long as it's a I'm good with you. Yeah. And when you travel, it's such a beautiful way to experience cultures. Absolutely. And also, you know, I think it, when you go to countries like Italy and France, mm. I think people there look at Americans as a nation of health nuts. Mm. You know, we, we, we look at the table as a minefield. You know, you make one wrong move and you're doomed. And then right. in those countries... People take pleasure from mm. food. You know, that's like one of the great joys of life. And the quality of food is so much better. Mm. So I, I worry that this kind of, um, you know, these extreme limitations of things, they, they really undermine social connection. Mm. Yeah, because food really is, a, is an invitation to come together. Exactly. At a communal table. Yeah, it shouldn't, it shouldn't separate us. Mm-hmm. My final question to you is, what does expanded consciousness mean to you? Well, first of all, I think everything is conscious. You know, this mm-hmm. is, you know, I think consciousness precedes matter. And I think consciousness creates matter. I think, you know, plants are conscious, animals are conscious, but I think things that we consider inanimate are conscious as well. 
So to me, that's the ultimate reality. And I think being able to, to, to experience that, to experience consciousness, not just your personal consciousness, mm. but something that connects you with everything. Mm. That's what I would call I expanded that. consciousness. Thank you so much. A pleasure to talk to you. It's been such a pleasure, yeah. Dr. Wild. What's the best way for everyone to connect with your work? Well, look at my books. You know, I think that there, there's a, a range of top topics and they're really good. And they're audiobook versions of them. Go to my website, drwild.com. Eat at a true food kitchen restaurant if you can. <laughs> also check the website of the now called the Andrew Wiley University of Arizona Center for Integrative Medicine, which is integrativemedicine.arizona.edu mm-hmm. and see about the academic work that's done there. And there, there are some great online courses and some of them are for the general public. They are? Yep. Oh, that's awesome. Yep. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Pleasure. So, so great, guys. If you are touched, inspired, moved by any part of this, please share it on Instagram and tag at WokenWired and at Dr. Wild on Instagram. And remember matcha.com as well to get the best matcha. It is really good. I confirmed that. Okay, great. Just how incredible is Dr. Wild? So knowledgeable and so open-minded and so generous with the way that he shares his message and his legacy with everyone that he comes across through his books, through his businesses, through the way he gives back and supports people with a similar vision of a more healed and integrated holistic lifestyle. I loved learning about Dr. Wiles' morning routine and how he does creative work first thing in the morning. I love that he doesn't spend a lot of time on social media. And I think this is a great tip, not just with people with ADD, but for anyone to practice boundaries with our devices and spend more time in nature. This is one of my biggest takeaways from this conversation. I absolutely adored Dr. Wiles openness to experiencing cacao ceremony and cacao ritual with me. And while I was at his house, I also noticed that not only he has a lot of plants around the house, he also has a lot of gorgeous crystals. And I got to ask him about that. I have video footage of all of it, and I am planning to be posting it on my YouTube channel. So check that out. It's all linked in the show notes. Or if you just want to search Breakfast Criminals on YouTube, you can find me that way as well. If you got curious about ceremonial cacao ritual, I have a whole video on my channel. It's one of the most popular ones about how I make it, how I drink it, where it comes from, and how you can create your own cacao ritual. And if you're more of an audio learner than a video learner, then you are going to absolutely love episode 14 with Florencia Friedman. She's a cacao ceremonialist that I studied with and traveled to Guatemala with and learned mostly everything I know cacao about from. And if mushrooms is a topic you want to dive deeper into, then check out episode 12 with Jason Scott, who is the founder of Feral Fungi. And you will learn about the top mushrooms you should be taking if you want to take your entrepreneurial abilities to the next level. 
Thank you for tuning in. And if you listened all the way to here and you haven't yet left a rating and a review to the podcast on iTunes, please do so. If you're moved by what was shared in this episode and not sure how to take action, start by writing it down. When we notice abundance and clarity in all shapes and forms and honor it, it grows. And if you're called to share the podcast with someone who you know is ready to receive it, follow that. Find all episodes, show notes, and current offerings on XeniaBrief.com. Subscribe to Xenia Brief Podcast on Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and a review, and take one deep breath into the knowing that's already within you.